0: Welcome to More to Come, P.W. Comics World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing, Uh, usually recorded at the P.W. offices, but we're now all at various locations around this great city. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of P.W. Comics World.
1: I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the Graphic Novels Review Editor for Publishers Weekly, as well as the Editor-in-Chief of ComicsBeat.com, and you can check us out. And Twitter at at PWComicsWorld.
2: And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com.
0: And don't forget, uh, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. Okay, this week on More to Come, Book Expo 2017. Uh, we're going to take a look at the Wonder Woman blockbuster phenomenon. Also, some more um, awful behavior online. Uh, uh, The uh, comics artist Burliak, and a a similar situation with the artist uh, Sophie LaBelle. Uh, And also, we'll take a look at the Eisner Awards Humble Bundle. Okay. To to
2: clarify, clarify listeners, um, Sophie LaBelle is the subject of the bad behavior, not the person doing it. Yeah, they're not really similar at all. But anyway, we'll get to that.
1: Okay, so... Uh, book book Expo, BookCon, uh, they both kicked off last week, um, and there was a pretty significant graphic novel presence at both.
0: Yes, yeah, really probably one of the best and um, biggest uh, uh, graphic novel presences I've seen at Book Expo in a long time.
1: Yeah, well, it's pretty obvious they've been mainstreamed. Um, You know, I got there on Thursday just as, Calvin, as you were sitting down for the Graphic Novels Buzz Panel, and it was a packed uh, down, uh, uptown stage.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uptown stage, which, of course, was downtown. Yeah. But that's a whole other discussion. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that the, uh, every seat was taken. Uh, people seemed to, like, mill around the side, standing room only. Uh, it was really great. I got a lot of good feedback afterwards. We had five booked um, with a really diverse uh, group of artists. It, it was really, um, really one of the better uh, graphic novel buzzes, which we had to call it, for whatever reason, a hot graphic novel panel uh, this year.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> yeah. What's the Don't buzz? Me. Tell I me
1: do, what's happening.
0: I I just do what I'm told. Um, but I can go over the lineup uh of artists I had really quickly. I mean I talked about this earlier, I think on one of our earlier podcasts, but uh we had um uh Miss Miss, Miss Hadra, uh a graphic novel really about epilepsy, uh that was uh by the artist uh Yasmin Omar Atta. Uh a wonderful book called Pashmina, uh, really about uh Uh, a younger Indian American and her experiences with her mother and really kind of learning about Indian culture. And it's by Needy Chanani from first, second books. Uh, The first book was actually from gallery 13. Um, uh, uh, Then we also had uh, a book of of really serious investigative journalism. Uh, It's called Varex, uh, the true story of of drone warfare, interface surveillance and whistleblowers. And it uh, really, uh, was a look into all of these topics that are in the headlines every day by uh, Pratap Chatterjee, an investigative reporter, and uh, Khalil Bindi, uh the, the artist who had also actually worked on Zoro's Paradise, uh, the book about the Iranian revolution. It came out a few years ago. Uh, then they had the great Argentinian uh, hilarious cartoonist, um, Liniers, who has a wonderful children's book called Good Night Planet, basically uh, based around his young daughter. And uh, finally, one of the hot books of the show, really, Uh, a lot of people were talking about it, Katie O'Neill, the cartoonist from New Zealand, and um, uh, a book called The Tea Dragon Society from Oni Press that was really kind of a reimagination of uh, classic fairy tales or really for the LGBTQ community. Very charming, beautifully done book.
1: Yeah, and you know that, uh, I mean, all those books, definitely people were talking about. uh, And because of the huge number of graphic novels for younger readers, um, some other like super hot books um, that weren't even on the the buzz or the hot panel, but, uh, you know, Tilly Walden's Spinning. Uh, yes. which is uh unbelievable. This book is unbelievable. Yeah. Considering she did it when she was like 18 19 years old. I mean, Jesus age. Yeah. Um also uh another Katie Katie Green and Lighter Than the yeah. Shadow uh which is coming out from Lion Forge. This is a book about her um battle with anorexia and OCD. Um it's, you know another really powerful memoir. Uh, and um, Witch Boy by Molly Ostertag, coming out from Scholastic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. There was tons yeah, of yeah. graphic novels everywhere you looked. Yeah.
0: And the the Tilly Walden book and the Molly Ostertag book, they were actually on panels at Book Expo, but with other prose authors. And and interesting enough, they were originally on my panel, and we were asked, we were requested to, uh, to relinquish them so that they could be on other panels because right. we were happy to do. Well
1: that's fantastic. It's it's our our neck of the woods is being mainstreamed, I think. So uh, Oh, there's no at, doubt at long last. Um, you know, I, I will say, uh definitely I mean I think it was a very strange book expo. Uh and also combined with BookCon I mean, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the Uptown stage was downtown, the downtown stage was Uptown. Um, Also, um, uh, you know, Heidi Alert, you know how I often say things on the podcast that I wouldn't put in print. But, um, you know, I think maybe the show floor for both shows was laid out by someone who didn't know how to lay out a show floor. Um, There was (laughs) because BookCon, um, which apparently drew more people than it had before. I mean, the show is definitely growing um but uh they it was packed it was packed. well it was packed I was up there saturday right well it was packed with people i was only there sunday and uh i don't know how it was on the day you were there calvin but on sun sunday there was a lot of booths that were in the middle of the floor like um you know the turkish printing booth or the hong kong printing booth or ingram that were completely abandoned so you know it was kind of like this uh this this half-abandoned trade show that was in the middle of BookCon and mm. kind of sapped energy a little bit, I thought. so
0: Well, the, the whole show was a little weird this year. I mean, you know, as every, if, if you don't know, um, read Pop or read whichever uh, which everyone is really pulling the screen to you, I think it's read Pop you know, they're really trying to separate these two shows or, or separate the audience for these three shows, these mm. two shows. Book Expo is supposed to be more focused uh, professionally. Uh, and really, they have been trying to um, basically purge the attendance rolls. And during Book Expo, everyone was scratching their head because the the, the floor traffic was much diminished. Yes, Book at- Con is the consumer show, and they they are really pushing to gain more people there. And on Saturday, um, the middle of the floor, anything around the Penguin Random House booth uh, and behind it, most of the center floor was at absolutely squawk uh, shoulder to shoulder with primarily teenage girls but there were some boys in there I mean, and their parents i should say so uh it was just packed
1: yeah there was definitely some good crowds um when i was there on sunday uh, actually the biggest crowd i saw was for a wonder woman arc um by <laughs> leah berlanti i mean it was like a solid wall of people there probably was about 300 people in line for that that arc um and you know that was another issue people had that crowd control wasn't all that uh, amazing like people didn't know where to line up all the time the lines weren't always all that great yeah. and um you know i there was the traditional diamond alley as we call it um but you know diamond has um uh c- like their lineup of of publishers they rep to the book trade has changed quite a bit. Uh, quite a few publishers have left them, but it was still Image, Lion yeah. Forge, Dynamite was there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Joe Books was there, who I'd never really talked to before, so that was kind of interesting. Um, they mm-hmm. are they publish mostly Disney adaptations and they get them into mass, you know, Costco, Walmart. Um, as well as uh-huh. uh, regular bookstores and they're starting to get them into comic shops a little bit more. They're starting to reach out, but, uh, and their books sell like quite a few copies. So, um, you know, pr- mm-hmm. they're like kind of, like, I think they're like one of the top 10 graphic novel publishers actually without getting that much attention. Um, at oh, least, that's interesting. Yeah. From our end of mm-hmm. things. But uh, anyway, they were mm-hmm. in the diamond. Although then <laughs> while I was talking to the the publisher or the top guy at Joe Books. He casually mentioned that in the future they would be distributed by Hashat, and this was the only time they'd be in the Diamond uh, Alley. So, <laughs> oops. oops, yeah.
0: There <laughs> we go. Yeah. Uh, well, um, what? Uh, what was I going to? Oh, well, it, it's interesting. I think just as you said, this is the mainstreaming of I think the comic book industry and the book world. I mean, on both sides, uh, yeah, um, really completing an awkward. Embrace. I mean, we uh, Heidi and I had a had a nice sit down conversation. I think we're both from Boone, and uh, I found it interesting for him to talk about what he was using Book Expo for. I mean, um, uh, and i had other publishers kind of mention this to me too, that it wasn't so much, for instance, buyers who very often all come to San Diego. But they were talking to the librarians and they were very eager to talk to the librarians.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Philip mentioned that a lot of the buyers who normally sees at Book Expo told him, oh, we're not going there. We're going to Comic-Con, which, of course, you understand because they want to go to Comic-Con. So, you know, um, I, I, I mean, if you had a choice between going to this pretty sedate, I mean, it was very peaceful and serene um, at, at Book, book Expo. Uh, I mean, it wasn't crowded. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you like to go to the Javits Center and not have crowds at all, it was amazing, and uh, there's a lot to be said for that. But but at the same time, um, I would have to say, having been to many a book expo in my day, I would have to say that attendance was was definitely down, and it, the number of ex- exhibitors was down as well.
0: Yeah, no, we, you're, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I I did not encounter too. I mean, I encountered a lot of per- perplexed publishers and confused <laughs> publishers. Uh I didn't I didn't encounter too many that were complaining about not getting their business done. Now, I don't know about you.
1: No, I didn't either. I mean, nobody was saying, "Oh, I can't get anything done." They were more just like Ah, uh, what the heck's happening here? I, yeah, <laughs> no,
0: absolutely. What yeah. the heck is going on?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, and um, you know, I had a, I oh. saw Lance Fensterman, who runs Read Pop, and uh, you know, we had an informal chat for about an hour, an hour actually, and yep. <laughs> um, you know, nothing. It wasn't on the record, so uh, but but yeah. I will say this. Uh, definitely, they are fine tuning the the Book Expo, BookCon experience. Um, it's kind of a work in progress, and I, I think that's pretty obvious.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Everyone's trying to figure out this new landscape. I mean, one of the things, for someone who's been going to Book Expo for for many, many years, this is a show uh, that basically doesn't really have a, a reason to exist anymore. <laughs> the reason that it was founded has gone away with the rise all manner of technology starting with the fax machine for that matter right so what we're nevertheless most people in the industry even if they don't like book expo they do think it's important that there's some you know uh, event where the industry gets together and chat you know takes a look at itself
1: yeah and so I, I agree is, with that i think that's very yeah, important
0: but making it work for everybody is is tricky keeping the cost reasonable is tricky and then you know, and the big five—they they want it in New York City, and they don't want it travel other places. So
1: yeah, exactly. they got to make it
0: work in the Javits Center.
1: Yeah, well, I think it was definitely uh, a great show for graphic novels, um, but not yeah. as great a show for other things. Although yeah. Calvin, oh. did you hear? Yeah, I heard that maybe a couple. You know, we've been talking on here that kids' graphic novels are obviously huge uh, growth area. But I I heard that maybe a couple of major publishers are slowing down a little bit on kids' graphic novels. Did you hear that? uh uh-huh. No, I didn't know. That would ah. be, very,
0: be, be very interesting to hear.
1: It would. It would. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this was more like kind of scuttlebutt in the air, so I'm not I'm, mm-hmm. I'm right. not passing this along as gospel, but I, I guess there's more to come on that. I will investigate further. Yeah, well,
0: we will certainly investigate it. I mean, everybody I encounter... Um, is are upping the number of graphic novels that they're doing, particularly on the kids' uh, right, line. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, speaking of which, I mean, Inside editions, uh I saw the book, the Neela McGruder's book, The Galley is out for it. That's coming very That's soon. That's
1: right. They had galley's um, that.
0: And we should also mention the French Comics Association's uh, cocktail party, uh, organized in conjunction with um, the fabulous Ivanka Hanenberger of VIP Brands. Uh, we had a nice turnout for this. It's really a celebration of French graphic novels, and another effort to, you know, publicize and promote uh, uh, English language rights. Uh, so far, so good. Things seem to be continuing to grow. Uh, the association uh, was passing out all kinds of data, uh, including the the main one that there the number of licenses that uh, French graphic novels licensed were about seventy in 2015. And somewhere around hundred and
1: twenty seven in twenty sixteen. Right. Yeah. So, definitely um, growing. Definitely increasing. More to come. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, you know, definitely a fun show. You know, at BookCon I did a panel on Sunday morning that was um, you know, about making comics in uh difficult times. Uh it was a fantastic lineup. Um I had Marjorie uh Lou, uh T T Bowie, uh Joe Illich yes. and mm-hmm. May uh Mags Visaggio. Uh, and, uh, it's actually up streaming on Facebook that was, it was streamed. Uh, I have a oh, link great. up on the beat where you can actually watch the whole panel, but, you know, four really amazingly, um, thoughtful, intelligent and passionate creators. And, um, you know, I asked them, do you think that because, you know, there's a lot of hate speech going on, which we will get to later on in this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you think that this, and a hate speech that isn't always, um, condemned from the highest level? And I said, "Do you think that makes it harder uh, to do your work?" And they all said it makes it so much more important. And uh, T. Bui, who mm-hmm. she's really amazing. Um, yeah, uh, she is. She's incredible, and she just said, "You know, she thinks it's more important because it reminds people that not everyone is horrible." So, <laughs> you know, yeah. a little inspiration there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I had to. I was able to interview her at Mocha Terrific. Yeah. Uh, to talk with her. Um. Yeah, I mean, it It was really a great show. I mean, there's a lot more panels, actually, than we're mentioning here. There were more at BookCon than I realized. Yeah. Um, uh, I went to a wonderful uh, hand-selling graphic novel panel on Friday morning, 9.30, uh, that had um, well, Terrence Irvin's from Kenokonia, um, um, a woman from Mysterious Galaxy, the comic show in San Diego, uh, someone from... Um, Gaslight uh, excuse me Greenlight books in Brooklyn which opened a second store and um, he talked about how they're focused on graphic novels so um, and there was another uh, nonfiction. Uh, a graphic novel panel uh, also held during F-
1: Book Expo. So yeah, and there was three uh, different. Pa- and there was also a Marvel panel. They mentioned that Rainbow yeah, Rowell yeah. would be taking over Runaways, and you know uh, Jason Reynolds is writing a Miles Morales gra- novel, not a graphic novel, a novel. And um, at BookCon, there was like two or three different panels about uh, comics. So um, you know, it was for comics. Uh, whatever else was going on, it was definitely uh, a great showing for them there.
0: You know, it absolutely. Um, and uh, so.
1: but as I mentioned, the biggest crowd I saw was for that Wonder Woman, uh, <laughs> uh, arc. And and now I, because I have been very busy, going to Bea and Buchan, and also working on the announcements, the fall announcements issue for PW, uh, as okay. well as my normal duties on the beat. I have not, and also had so many things happen in my house that I don't even want to go into. But I have not been able to to really sneak off to see Wonder Woman yet. So, uh, but you two have, correct?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: And no spoilers, but
0: okay, no spoiler. One word review: very good. That's two two words. words. (laughs) Two words.
2: Kate, Um, I would say, and I'm not limiting myself to specific number of words. Um, I really liked it a lot. Um, I did think that the action scenes were like a little weird and kind of long, and and sort of like they swiped it from the Matrix. But uh, I liked it.
1: Excellent. Well, it yeah, certainly. I,
0: it- I, I was. Gonna, I would just echo her remarks. Uh, I would agree. I mean, I actually really liked the fight scenes uh, quite a bit. Uh, there's some problems, but you know. We'll
1: talk about those. Yeah. But, you know, I enjoyed the movie. I mean, I think, you know, even me not having seen it, I mean, I feel like I have because uh, it did become a huge phenomenon over the weekend. Uh, I mean, it did gross over $100 million, which isn't record Mm. setting, but it was the biggest opening ever by a a movie directed by a woman. And I I don't think you can. I mean, a lot of people are calling it unprecedented record setting. Uh, And I think that's just because this movie and Wonder Woman herself we were given so much shade by everyone it's like oh it's so difficult you know i have on the beat if you go and you look it up there's diane nelson the head of dc entertainment like about three or four years ago saying oh we'd love to make wonder woman it was just so hard it's so difficult we just don't know how to do it and i mean this is the message that warner brothers has been given remember um the wonder woman tv pilot and the ice cream social
0: yeah. Okay. Only vacant for me, but it yeah.
2: basically uh, lots of of whining about their lives and and having a sleepover and eating ice cream together because that's what women do, even if they're Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that well, was, you know, I will,
1: I was. I was going to say be, that was I a have, TV pilot by David Kelly, and when like Wonder Woman oh. was, it was temporary. Wonder Woman was a lawyer, and and you know he's the creator of Ally McBeal, and and it really was like you know Ally Mc. Diana Prince. So I mean, whatever. Yeah.
0: yeah no. Uh, no. I, I, I. mean, I had some problems uh, with Catherine with Gail uh, Godot, or Godot, I forget what her, how you pronounce her name. But that's been a longer race. Um. I, I. She. She's. She really uh, carried this movie, and in, in in my view, is probably the reason why it's been so successful.
2: Um. Robin Wright, also, I would say, um, was surprisingly convincing as a amazonian general i mean yes Yes. as see her in house of cards she definitely can play tough but i i (laughs) I hadn't expected her to play physically tough quite that convincingly
1: yeah well i you Uh, know i've seen a lot of tweets that are like you know princess buttercup grew up to be an amazon general and uh you know there's a lot to that And, and i don't think you can uh, I mean, there's been so much commentary about this movie online. Uh, obviously, everyone's got their own hot take on it. And uh, Laura Hudson had some really great, great, great comments. You know, Laura Hudson, our, our former intern, Calvin. Yeah, you know, I, haven't, now.
0: I haven't read it. I, yeah, but, so, well, I feel she was, so proud. She was tweeting. But, I mean,
1: basically, <laughs> it's like this movie, uh, in my uh, uh, I wrote a brief thing about it on the beat where I mentioned that last year I think I was even fretting about like I I felt like the irony of all ironies would be that by the time Wonder Woman arrived somehow the audience would be sick of superhero movies and they would reject this movie and of course it would be blamed that it was Wonder Woman and guess what just the opposite happened I this movie has a 93 percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes it has like a rating on uh, exit interviews which from men and women alike so it's actually the best reviewed movie you know superhero movie in quite some time and uh, it's it's really galvanized people you know there's reports of women crying when they watch it and taking my, my roommate did your roommate cried wow that's amazing that's wonderful that's wonderful no, I, I've never happy seen, tears uh,
0: I've, I've never seen women so en- energized the, the target audience um, uh, and, well, I think everybody is target for this movie, but I think women are, are, in particular, have been waiting for something like this. And really, I—that's I, I, what I've seen everywhere I've looked. Uh, women just really overwhelmed to see, you know, um, a representation, a superhero representation that they can really get behind.
2: Right. So well, and, yeah, and,
0: it's been a—it's a paradigm.
2: Yeah, and I think it helps that it's. I do admit that Wonder Woman can, with certain writers, often men, have the same problem Superman has, where people are like, how do I write an actually good person? I don't know how to write a good person. They must be bored, Right. Uh, And instead of taking the route that a lot of recent movies have taken of like, well, how do you write a good person? You make them less good. They didn't do that.
1: (laughs) Right and uh you know that's what i've like i said i i mean i really i really miss the boat by not going to see this movie opening night but um because honestly i do feel like i've had it spoiled for me but you know what it's 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 i think dc has had uh obviously you know superman there was definitely that feeling in the cinematic universe and so they did batman versus superman where Batman is the less brooding, evil, moody guy than Superman, you know?
2: <laughs> but still <laughs> so pretty and moody.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're both evil and moody. And I mean, even in Batman versus Superman, whenever Wonder Woman came on the scene, she was a breath of fresh air because she was just like, cut the crap, boys. Let's unite against our common foe.
0: <laughs> well, without a doubt. I mean, really, her appearance in Batman versus Superman, seemed like really galvanized the whole community about behind this movie. And look, I mean, DC has had a lot of time to screw a lot of other movies up. They had better <laughs> had gotten this one right. They right. had they'd done, they'd had enough training wheels in before <laughs>
1: that. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, um, I do know that uh, Patty Jenkins really fought for some of the scenes that did some of the best character development yes, I heard of that. action.
1: Yeah, and exactly.
2: So, I mean, points to them that they eventually let her get her way, um, but also points to her for fighting for it.
1: Right. Um,
2: and and I, what I was going to say is is just that um, it'll be interesting to see the returns, not on the first weekend, but on the second and third weekends. Because, like, yeah. Avengers cool. and a few other movies really made those their money on the return viewers, and so I wonder whether, even though it started behind Batman v Superman and behind um, the most recent Superman movies, whether it might not get closer than we think with future weekends. Well the,
1: well, the big opening this weekend is The Mummy, which has been getting dire reviews. So everybody's already predicting that Wonder Woman is going to still be the number one. So it's going to be number one two weeks in a row, if all goes according to plan. And uh, right. that would be pretty amazing. But but I, I, I think, you know, I've seen some kind of naysayers saying like um you know kind of poo-pooing the success of this movie but given the the opposition and confusion over how to make a superhero movie that starred a female superhero that we've been talking about on this podcast as long as we've been talking on this podcast i think the success of wonder woman has to be viewed as a huge triumph for the diversification of comics and comic book movies, so you know, don't don't throw shade, all right? We won, we no, won. <laughs> without a doubt.
0: And I think this particular hero, with this this female superhero, this makes this all the more satisfying. Uh, I mean, Wonder Woman is one of the pillars that really holds up and- the whole DC universe.
1: And, and you know what? There's also, again, I haven't seen it, but I feel like it's been spoiled. But I ran a piece on on the beat by one of our writers who is uh, bisexual. And she uh, pointed out that it really doesn't shy away from that aspect of Wonder Woman either. It doesn't come right out and say it, but there's, there's a couple of scenes that very strongly imply that on Paradise Island in all female society, there might possibly... Be some kind of uh, sexual and romantic contact between women and that's
2: okay it was yeah, very heavily implied yeah. and it was kind of like okay that's yeah. just how it is
0: yeah um yeah, yeah. and there's other nods to i think a feminist consciousness uh feminist easter eggs uh, <laughs> so to speak uh, planted throughout the movie you know obviously very often very subtle and i think you know uh, indirect, but nevertheless, uh, there.
2: If you want to see them, right? Well, yeah. well. And it, okay, I'm but, sorry. Yeah. Speaking of feminist triumph, um, what listeners may not know, and indeed what I didn't know until a friend of mine told me, and then I looked it up and it was true. Um, Patty Jenkins. This is really her vindication too, because she was originally slated to do Thor too and she parted with the movie over their choice of plot. And, um, you know, it was just kind of like, yeah, we don't need her. We're just going to bring on this other pot, you know. And then the movie <laughs> was not that great. And yeah. so now yeah. she got her big superhero blockbuster. And it was undoubtedly a better movie than Thor 2 by far. Yeah.
1: And it, oh, apparently yeah. she was the one who said, let's set this in World War One," And... Uh, you know, went in and said, this is this is how I want to approach it. And they went with her. And, you know, there's a big story today. Everybody's been saying, oh, they can't wait for the sequel already because that's how you do it. And, uh, you know, we can't wait for Gal Gadot and, and and um Patty Jenkins to be reunited. Uh, and guess what? You know, Warner Brothers didn't sign her for a sequel. And they're like, oh, that's oh. standard procedure when it's an unknown director. And that's just how we do it. And, you know, it's funny because
2: an um, unknown director whose movie got an oscar
1: yeah um and uh it's funny because the women, there have been two previous kind of franchisee movies where the first one was directed by a woman, which is Twilight by Katherine Hardwick, mm-hmm. and uh, also Fifty Shades of Grey by Sam Taylor-Johnson. And both of them only directed the first movie, you know. So mm. uh, if Patty Jenkins does get to make the sequel, which she is uh, pretty much sitting in the catbird seat here, uh, if you yeah. get that, or in the driver's seat in modern parlance, uh, she would definitely break the mold on that. So um, yeah, if
2: they don't give it there's going
1: to be hell to pay
0: if she
2: if Yeah. They don't oh, they If they, they pull yield, oh, well, this woman directed this movie and it was it was good, but um let's hire some unknown dude who's directed some like stoner comedies to do the second one. If they do that, <laughs> people will riot.
1: Yeah. They yeah, will absolutely Um, So, yeah. So, anyway, we might go more into it after I've seen it, but um, definitely thumbs up for Wonder Woman. You know, there was one naysayer about wonder woman and that was um uh new york magazine reviewer david edelstein i don't know if you guys follow that whole thing but it's uh, funny because no, I, I read his i read his review when it came out and it was really like oh you know gal gadot is really gorgeous but and the movie's kind of lame because superhero movies are lame but boy she sure is beautiful and uh because israeli women are a breed apart. And, uh, you know, for some reason, <laughs> this review got a lot of shade. And, you know, it's OK not to like the movie. I mean, that's certainly anyone's prerogative. I mean, my, my reviewer at the beat um didn't wasn't a big didn't like the third act, but um he got so much shade for this because it really was like, oh, could you be any more of a 20th century dude in reviewing this movie? And he had to come out and mm. apologize for it. Uh, like he wrote this big whiny apology where I like, oh, when I said the word breed, it was just a figure of speech. And, and um, a lot of people didn't buy the apology. And so mm-hmm. using that as a segue to our next item on the list. Seeking uh, of faux apologies. Yeah, seeking of faux apologies. Uh, an interesting uh, event last week on Tuesday of last week, uh, Drone and Corley, uh, an- announced that they would be publishing Sad Boy by Burliac, an Argentinian cartoonist. Uh, and the book dealt with kind of immigration issues in a manga type style. And uh, when it was announced on Twitter, a couple of people, mostly Sarah Horrocks, who is a, a critic and cartoonist herself, said, pointed out that Two years ago, Berliak had put out a kind of, it was called uh, Gaijin, uh, Gaijin, pardon me, G-A-Y hyphen J-I-N, a little manifesto where he kind of compared transitioning, uh, being transsexual to drawing uh, in a manga style when you weren't raised in Japan. And Horrocks, who is a transsexual woman, a trans woman, uh, had objected to it, and he kind of, just was like a rude asshole to her and uh you know posting all these kind of transphobic memes and and just you know sticking mm. with it and then when she pointed it out and other people pointed out his defense was well i didn't know she was trans i thought she was a woman and <laughs> you know which yeah, is like okay. awesome oh you're just a misogynist not a transphobe so after yeah. this played out on twitter for a couple of days Jordan Quarterly Quarterly put up a post called an apology. And they announced that they would not be publishing the book, um, because they, they, after doing due diligence, they felt this was a cartoonist that they could not stand behind, uh, which I thought was Mm. an interesting way of putting it. Uh, and, and, And then Berliac kind of posted a very long apology where he... Talked about his own upbringing in Argentina, Argentina, and and let's be, you know, this is an interesting kind of a side note to it. Is uh, even on when I wrote about this in the beat, some people are like, "Oh, another white man being put down." It's like, you know what, Berliac is actually um, of Afro Latino um, heritage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he is a person of color, and but he mm-hmm. mentioned that his 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 um, upbringing and poverty and all this, and you know where he grew up, would you know he was trying to overcome that upbringing but uh, and and I will say the one thing that he did to, I think to his credit because if he hadn't done it he'd be an absolute you know drummed out of the comics industry on a on a rail was like don't blame Sarah Horrocks and don't blame Drona Quarterly but I think it still came off as a bit of a faux apology and he became okay. off as very defensive
2: and I think I better talk to listeners a little bit about what exactly this piece was this isn't just something he randomly posted to the internet in some conversation. This is like a finished work of art that he worked, like clearly put a lot of time into, um, which is either saying one of two things that you really can transition into being Japanese, which is ridiculous, <laughs> or it is, it is heavily implying, which is what it seems to be doing heavily implying that uh, it is as ridiculous to transition to a different gender than uh your biological sex as it is to become Japanese. <laughs> and um, you know, there are a lot of things about let's see, he said, um if anything, my manga will be an aesthetic expression of this generalized moral inversion <laughs> from cartoonist to mangaka, from Caucasian to yellow, from the masculine West to the feminized East. In short, from ruler to the oppressed.
1: No. Uh, yeah. nope. 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 nope,
2: nope, 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 nope,
0: nope, I mean, nope. I mean he's, he's sort of, you know, obviously, sort of appropriating this language to uh, insult trans people. I, what I read, and I can't say that I really know the full range of this change. What I did see was arrogant, and abusive, and violent. Um, an un, 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 un called for uh dialogue directly yeah
1: and um, yeah and i mean and listen community. i i understand you know we live in a time of call out culture and it's very easy to be defensive when you are called out but when you're called yeah. out for something that's really being a jerk you need to just stand down and listen and not be a jerk even more you know Yeah. and i, and, and I you know a lot of people call this Censorship and a no it is not censorship. No, and You know Burliak no, has some other books on. coming out from other publishers They I'm not going to name them. Uh, I don't know if they are also going to reconsider publishing him The book already came out in Europe uh, But you know, I mean we've talked enough about Drone Quarterly Calvin and I are you know We know Peggy Burns and Tom Devlin. Yeah, very well, no. and you know, they the cartoonists. They publish are all citizens of the world You know, I mean, you might argue with Chester Brown's desire to have sex with prostitutes or something, but, you know, he is not an abusive asshole, (laughs) at least online. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
0: And he can sit down and and talk with you and and you can have a difference of opinion uh, without him trying to sort of wipe you off the face of the earth. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, to be frank, if someone calls you out online... And you think you're, they're wrong. You don't need to apologize if you don't want to. But what you shouldn't no, do you is weigh it in up to your neck. Yes. And be like, you can't possibly be offended. You must be faking it. And or here, have a giant pile of misogyny. Like, <laughs> yeah. like the least you can do yes. is say nothing. Like, adding a giant pile of misogyny to your pile of, I can't figure out if it's. Well, yeah, I think it's both racism and trans misogyny at the same time fun times you know like added misogyny will never help
0: right what what i read was self-important abuse yeah that's all I and i mean
1: you you know i think what's really a big takeaway from this is um you know it's like i said when i i covered this for the beat i was like you know everybody's worried oh my god are their old tweets going to be brought forward to be used against them and you know what maybe so you know don't be a, a, a racist don't be a sexist, don't be transphobic, don't be any of those things, Uh, 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 be a considerate person who treats other people with respect and dignity.
2: And this wasn't even that, this was a published work.
1: Yeah, exactly. For
2: you to be, for someone to be like, oh, you know, digging into our past, getting into our privacy, like this wasn't privacy, this was public. Yeah, exactly. This was a public, published work. And you have to expect that people will We'll, uh talk about right. things that you publish It's just what people do
1: and and um you know, just to segue just a little bit, I mean obviously transphobia um, is a huge issue, and uh, uh that it exists is not even a question, but um the cartoonist Sophie uh, LaBelle, who we have had as a guest on on this podcast, had a really horrific incident. um she is another uh, trans cartoonist who writes a delightful comic strip about um transitioning as a young person and uh her website was hacked uh they put up nazi imagery in its place and on reddit she was roundly she was doxxed and uh the abuse i mean it was you know i mean sometimes uh i mean none of it is right but sometimes the abuse that you see in some of these cases is um like you know five tweets i mean this was like tons a lot dozens of tweets scores of tweets and it was really horrifying and she was forced to move she was forced to to leave her apartment because of 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 what happened and um you know luckily her cartoon is back on her comics back online it's up on tumblr and um you know i haven't heard about her uh direct response to this but i mean people are looking out for her but you know what this is a real thing and uh you know as an industry we really need to stand behind uh stand behind our cartoonists yeah uh,
0: absolutely um and to speak up for the right the right thing and to treat people with respect absolutely
1: Absolutely. absolutely and um so, yeah, another another uh, skirmish in these amazing culture wars that we're going through right now. But, uh, you know, these like I like as it was said on the panel on my book con panel, these messages are more important than ever because we got a lot of stuff to wade through in the next four years or eight years. So,
0: oh, yeah, boy, <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure.
1: Well, in the meantime, um, you can read some good comics and, uh, would just, this just came up today, just as we were doing, getting ready to go online for our, our to, to record our, our podcast, but, um, Humble Bundle, which we've talked about many times, just had a really cool bundle that's Eisner nominees.
2: Yes, it's got a really large pile of them, and so, frankly, as we were discussing before the podcast, some of the best ones are the ones that you can get at the one dollar level. Yeah, you don't need to commit to the whole like fifteen dollars just to get some really amazing books.
1: No, not at all. And, and yeah, oh go ahead. For Calvin.
0: those who may not, know, so I'm just saying, for those who may not know, Humble Bundle, Humble Bundle is a really, uh, really extraordinary effort. Um. It, Basically, what they do periodically, both with prose books, uh, with uh, with e- excuse, with prose e and with comics, is they put out a bundle of several different works. Some of them are out of print, some of them are in print. Uh, they um, they offer them up as DRM-free digital comics. You can pay whatever you want, and you assign a certain portion to charity. And this it creates an incredible windfall of funds both for the artists and for the publishers. And it sends a huge amount of money into all kinds of charities uh, and nonprofits, including the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which really uh, got a real windfall of donations because of hum- Yeah, both the charities bundle.
1: that are uh, supported by this are CBLDF and the Hero Initiative, both amazing. Um, yes. Books that are oh, available yes. for a dollar Jordan Crane's Uptight, Faith, uh, Kim and Kim, uh, Blamo, uh, Wayne Gibson's Archangel, and Your Black Friend by Ben Passmore. Uh, at $8, you get Black <laughs> Hammer. Oh, I love that book. Uh, oh, that's Burton, another good book. Uh, Baby Wax, Jughead, Love is Love, and Bloodshot. And at the $15 level, you get Spanish Fever, an amazing book. Another one, Kramer's Urgut, uh, Baltic Comics from Koosh, Hot Dog Taste Test, and Briggs Land. So you know what? This is pretty amazing. Cool. Yeah, pretty amazing yeah. lineup. So great, great great move by Homo Bundle. I'm
0: gonna
1: buy that one myself. Yeah, I know, <laughs> me too, me too. I mean, I have a lot of these books, but you know what, I'm just gonna support this. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's just great. I've got some of them, but man, that's a nice bundle and there's nothing humble
2: about it. <laughs> <laughs> and and something else, listeners, you should know about Humble Bundle. It started out, and still is, a, uh, vid- a digital video game download bundling company that did the same you know, pay what you wish, donate to charity model. And so if you're a gamer, And you want to download You know some and buy Some game through Humble Bundle You can choose what charity Among the ones they have there To donate to so if you are You know downloading like The Star Wars video games from them And you would like your charity Contribution to go to CBLDF Or the Hero Initiative you can choose that
1: Absolutely So it's win 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 all around
2: Yeah.
0: Shout out to uh, Kelly Allen, who uh, runs Humble Bundles. Uh, Keep up the good work.
1: All right. And so uh, on to the briefs.
2: And now it is briefs o'clock. Now, listeners, (laughs) you may notice that I sound a little (laughs) froggier than usual, and there's a reason I'm sick. But this meant that I was at home in my apartment when Jessica Jones started filming on my block. Um, So keep an eye out, New Yorkers. Um, It's filming in the outer boroughs, possibly at a totally normal, boring block near you.
1: Well, uh, one of the things I love about all the Marvel Netflix shows is they'll be saying like, oh, I can't believe what's going on in Hell's Kitchen. And very clearly they'll be standing in Greenpoint because you can see Manhattan in the background (laughs) over a river behind them. So, you know, an interesting geography of the mind for Netflix.
2: Yes. Yeah, well, I do kind of wonder why they don't, like, digitally paste out or at least not get the view of Manhattan in those shots. But whatever, they won't have that problem in Flatbush. So the original Captain Harlock... Manga saga that came out in the 70s, um, which has been made into anime and live action movies and many, many, many spin offs, has finally been licensed in English legally, and it's going to be coming out from Seven Seas uh, next year. Great. Also, um, Shonen Jump and Shonen Jump Plus, as many of you listeners know, is kind of the gold standard for. For mainstream big money manga. Well, now um, Shonen Jump is sponsoring a contest uh, aimed at Westerners uh, and and non-Japanese in general. But it's going to be at it's going to be um, judged at the uh, Monaco Comic Con, um, where uh, people who write like a thirty-four to like forty-six page manga can enter it into this contest. And it's going to be judged by Tite Kubo, the creator of Bleach. And the winner will get their um, manga published in Shonen Jump Plus and a month in Japan working with Shonen Jump Plus and um, being considered for for future manga contracts. So uh, head on over to... um, google and look this up um it's the magic manga contest so listeners we have had some feelings about the new york times and (laughs) their their varying commitment to graphic storytelling let's just put it that way um due to you know reviews and the fact they yanked the graphic novel bestseller list. You know, it's been a subject of some controversy, but actually they published sort of a little mini graphic novel last weekend. You can probably still find it at your local library or online. You could definitely still find it online. Um, yeah. The New York Times Sunday Supplement magazine that is comes with the magazine and is a, a glossy little mag. Um, usually it's a bunch of essays or, you know, some more in-depth coverage of an issue this week, it was all graphic novel stories. It's called New York Stories. It's beautiful. It's like a little anthology mag comic. Um, go on and check it out.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. although the stories are, are based on uh, on New York Times reported stories, uh, they're, they're all very short. They're all really delightful. Um, I know there's what, about 13 or 14 of them, something like that. But look, we're talking about wonderful artists. Tilly Walden, Kevin Huizinga, David Mazakelli. Yeah, David Mazakelli. Tom Gold. I know. Uh, Sammy Harcum. Um, Those are the names I knew. There were others also equally talented who I wasn't familiar with. Bianca Vagnarelli, Wesley Albrook. I don't know whether Heidi you knows these guys or not. But believe me, wonderful stories, turning Times-reported news stories uh, and sort of, you know, about town stories about New York, into really great short conversations.
1: Yeah, it was it was definitely a uh, a very very cool, um, a, a very cool magazine. You know, and I went out and I bought the first New York Times that I have probably bought in five or six years, <laughs> and uh, I hope other people <laughs> did, and maybe that will be like, oh, we should run more comics.
0: Yeah, well, let's hope so.
1: Well, uh, definitely, as far as the New York Times goes, and this podcast, there will be more to
2: come.